once the cheesy, overproduced intro music fades into the background. Hey, welcome everybody. Willis here to be your guide on this exploration of strange events, people, and experiences. Some true crime, some paranormal. We'll also traverse strange trajectories in science and human behavior, entertainment, literature, and just the general strangeness of everyday life in this ever-changing, crazy, wacky world. Uh, so, this is a little bit strange. There are a lot of podcasts out there, well over two million. And uh, over the last two years, COVID has had me working from home in a dungeon-esque basement home office. Uh, I'm not really complaining. It's uh, provided me plenty of time to listen to podcasts, play video games, and, and work, of course. You know, plenty of work. Uh, so in my mind, I started wondering what things I might explore if I had my own podcast. And after saying I was going to do it too many times to chicken out, uh, here it finally is. And uh, just say sorry about the production quality. I had a cold and a bad mic when I recorded these first two stories. Uh, I think they're still listenable. Uh, and uh, I'm also sorry about the background music. Is it too much? Is it too cheesy? I got carried away with my MIDI keyboard. What can I say? I got MIDI'd away. Uh, have fun while you can, right? I'm pretty sure it's just my mom and two or three Bigfoot enthusiasts uh, that are going to be listening to this anyway. Uh, so thanks, Mom. In that spirit, I've decided to focus the entirety of this first season uh, on the strangeness uh, exclusively, exclusively on strangeness from some regions of New York that uh, maybe don't get thought of or explored often enough on endeavors such as uh, this silly podcast. These are places where I've lived, worked, played, uh, got lost, explored, and wondered. Central New York, the Finger Lakes, the Southern Tier. I'm looking at you, Western New York, and the Adirondacks. We might hit you as well. And we'll try to put the silliness aside for the first story on this episode. A strange case from a small suburban mall that is haunting, perplexing, and frustrating in its lack of resolution. Uh, then we'll dive into some hometown, uh, down-home, down-hometown, <laughs> downy-homey-towny, New York State, Bigfoot, or whatever foot encounters, and uh, you can decide on the silliness level from there on out. Enjoy. On the night of January 18th, 2002, Mark Raymond, age 40, left his job at the Pyramid Mall in Lansing, New York to walk home to the nearby apartment that he shared with his brother. Unfortunately, Mark never made it home that night and officially, no one has seen him since. To all outward appearances, that night seemed to go just like so many others for Mark who worked at the Sunglass Hut. He was seen leaving the mall at around 10.30 p.m. to make the trek home on a chilly New York night with a high temperature of only 23 degrees Fahrenheit. Mark's route would have been pretty direct. Once escaping the mall's parking lot, he would have taken North Trip Hammer Road over Route 13 to his apartment on Winthrop Drive, roughly a mile and a half away. Mark's disappearance was quickly noted by his brother the next morning. His very alarmed mother immediately notified authorities of his disappearance, explaining that this was very unusual behavior for a normally punctual and responsible son. 
To their credit, the Tompkins County Sheriff's Office did not make the family wait it out as is sometimes the case when adults go missing. Within days, multiple searches of the wilderness near the mall, Fall Creek, and the area surrounding Mark's apartment were underway. These searches were conducted by a combination of law enforcement officers and volunteers and included police helicopters and search and rescue dogs. Mark's family put up thousands of flyers doing their best to keep the image of their kind face, bespectacled, unassuming son and brother in front of the world, but no leads ever solidified and no trace of Mark has ever been found. At one point, a psychic that the family had consulted suggested that Mark had taken a ride from the wrong individual, someone Mark knew, with a stranger in the back seat. Of course, even without psychic abilities, one could easily draw the conclusion that Mark fell victim to some kind of foul play. Because if it wasn't something nefarious, what other possibilities could explain his disappearance? If some medical emergency had befallen him on the way home, it's highly unlikely that he wouldn't have turned up in the multiple searches that followed. In some circles, Mark's disappearance would raise the specter of alien abductions and the like. All that can be said about this possibility is that there is zero evidence to support it, much like every other theory. Even after 10 p.m. on a Friday night, North Triphammer Road would have still been somewhat busy with traffic, but no one ever came forward to report that they had seen Mark on his way home. This combined with the chilly temperatures indicates to me that he probably did get a ride with someone. I'm sure the police would have followed up on this, and Mark was seen leaving the mall on foot. So, did someone come along and offer him a ride on the short walk from the mall to North Triphammer Road? One unconfirmed sighting puts Mark at the Topps Market near the mall after his shift. Could he have met up with someone there for a ride? The lack of hard answers only adds to the frustration felt both by those close to Mark and the local sheriff's office. The depth of loss experienced by his mother, Kathleen Bierce, came through in the 2006 interview with the Ithaca Journal. There's no such thing as closure, she said. Every day I wake up with him on my mind. Every day I go to bed with him on my mind. The possibility of filling the empty space left by Mark's disappearance grows more unlikely as the years go on. Now, I spent a lot of my youth at that mall, now known as the Shops at Ithaca Mall. It was a place where I went to many movies and enthusiastically threw many, many tokens into various video games in what was a decent arcade for a long time. There was good pizza and a fun mix of big and small stores. I spent many hours there with friends and family. I have driven North Triphammer Road countless times and have had many friends that live nearby. It's not high on the list of places where one might expect an apparent crime of this nature to take place. The fact that there is still no resolution adds to the unease and overall strangeness of this case. I went on my first real date at that mall. I have had friends who, between work and play, spent the better part of their lives there. It should be a safe place. Maybe that's why Mark's story gnaws at me so much. I do wonder how it affects the person or persons responsible for his disappearance. I hope it wears on them and consumes them from within. I hope it sits in the pit of their stomach and doesn't let them sleep at night. And I hope that guilt will eventually force them to come clean. If they have a shred of humanity within them. But it's been 20 years at this point and no one has come forward. In my research, I came across a human interest story featuring Mark from November of 1977. The gist of the article was that Mark was a fine, upstanding 10th grader who really broke the mold of all those other teenagers wasting their lives watching the dreaded television. That bit of dated ageism aside, we get a great sense of the kind of gentle, intelligent, and thoughtful person Mark was even at 16 years of age, as the article describes his busy life. A big part of that life was Mark's work at the McGraw House, a retirement home in Ithaca. 
Mark enjoyed assisting the elderly, bowling on Saturday mornings, and yes, watching TV in moderation. Of course, there are sour apples who give every generation a bad name, the teenaged Mark said. They get all the notice, so people think everyone in that generation is the same. You could say the same for adults, couldn't you? The kindness and intellect of Mark as a young man comes through so clearly here and really illustrates the kind of person he was and by all accounts remained throughout his life. And we should remember that Mark was five foot five with brown hair and brown eyes and wore glasses and that he was 40 years old at the time of his disappearance. Anyone who has ever researched the topic of missing persons understands what a sad and deep hole it can be. According to worldpopulationreview.com, at the time of this writing, there are 606 missing in New York State. Statistically, we know that the vast majority of these cases will be resolved normally within a year or less, but for some, that resolution remains unfulfilled. In the 20 years since Mark's disappearance, a number of people have disappeared in the Finger Lakes, Central, and Southern Tier regions, leaving no solid clues or suspects. Here we present a short and incomplete list of some of the most confounding of these cases. Bambi Madden was last seen at around 11 p.m. on January 11, 2006. She was leaving her apartment at Binghamton for a short walk to a nearby convenience store. There has been no sign of the 31-year-old mother of two since. Bambi is 5'4", with blonde hair and blue eyes, weighing about 100 to 115 pounds. Edward Brian Tandler left the house he shared with roommates on Cowell Road in Spencer sometime on June 24, 2005. Traveling on foot, he may have been heading to Ithaca, but has not been seen since. Tandler was 44 at the time of his disappearance and is described as being 5 foot 10 inches tall, 160 pounds with brown or salt and pepper hair and glasses. Bethany Doherty, a 40-year-old mother of three, disappeared from her Kilowog home sometime in the early morning hours of April 1st, 2008. Though neighbors reported a woman screaming at around 3 a.m. when Bethany would have been getting ready for work, police found nothing at the time and the connection wasn't made until Bethany's son reported her missing several hours later. Bethany is described as 5 foot 10 inches tall, 160 pounds with auburn hair. Chastery Labar was last seen on October 2nd, 2016 at the NY Penn Trade Center in Johnson City. His apartment was found abandoned by his family after he could not be reached. Oddly, they found only a lit candle there. Chester is described as five foot, eight inches tall, around 140 pounds with dark hair and eyes. He wears glasses and has many tattoos. He's 37 years old at the time of his disappearance. Sadly, these cases barely scratch the surface when it comes to unsolved and sometimes very mysterious disappearances from this area of New York. Like all of these, and so many others, Mark Raymond's story is baffling, strange, and frustrating. I can only imagine how strong that frustration must be for Mark's family and friends. It's very important to remember that at the heart of all of these mysteries are very real, very loved, multi-dimensional human beings who deserve more than to be remembered for the enigma that surrounds their disappearances. Someone out there might have a missing piece of information in Mark's or one of the other cases mentioned. Nothing I say here is likely to force such a person to come forward, of course. But perhaps karma has started to creep up on them. Maybe it's working on them right now. All they have to do to relieve that pressure is come clean. The easiest, most natural act imaginable. We can hope.
For more information on missing persons, please check out the New York State Missing Persons Database at www.criminaljustice.ny.gov forward slash missing and the State Trooper website's Wanted and Missing section at troopers.ny.gov wanted dash and dash missing. The prevalence of belief in the legendary cryptid known as Bigfoot certainly might be considered strange by some. The idea that a population of large ape-like critters could exist in the mountains and backwoods of North America is largely scoffed at by the scientific community and for good reason. Solid evidence is hard to come by. No Bigfoot skeletons or remains of any sort have ever been recovered and photographic evidence, while considerably more prolific, is usually grainy, blurry, or shot from too far away to allow conclusive authentication. The legends and stories that remain are certainly intriguing and do raise many questions. Can every one of these accounts be a misidentified bear or some other misrepresented shadow in the woods? And what should we make of the inclusion of Bigfoot-type creatures in the legends of North America's native peoples? New York State's Haudenosaunee Confederation, also known as the Iroquois or the Six Nations, passed down the legend of the Janasqua. Literally translated as stone giant, this Bigfoot-type creature was known for its immense size and strong skunk-like odor, as well as rock-hard skin and a violent disposition. This territorial beast was said to raid native villages to purge livestock and people indiscriminately. The Janasqua comes off as something of a stinky, primal boogeyman. Now a sociologist or anthropologist might have an explanation for why these legends have proliferated and been passed down. There's little doubt that the mythology and idea of a species of hairy, hulking, bipedal hominids plays a very important role in Native American culture on some level. The so-called hairy man pictographs found at Painted Rock in California show what appears to be a family of Bigfoot-type creatures portrayed in contrast to humans and other creatures. These etchings and paintings are roughly a thousand years old. Some interpretations suggest that the hairy man is moving away from mankind's ascension across the land. Maybe the ancient drawings at Painted Rock represent an actual account of a creature that shared the forests of North America with ancient humans. But there is no evidence <clears throat> in the fossil record to support this whatsoever. No anthropological indication of any large hominid besides man living in North America has ever been found. So we're back to grainy videos and photos. We're back to footprints left behind by something. The fact that these represent the vast majority of Bigfoot evidence and the fact that all of these items can be easily fabricated by tricksters should probably not be lost on us. But please don't get me wrong, I am really pulling for Bigfoot. If somehow a race of super clever, gargantuan, stinky man hapes have been able to set up shop in the high hills across this continent without ever being trapped, shot, or truly exposed by mankind, more power to them. If, miraculously, that is someday proven to be the case, against all odds, I hope we have the collective humility to accept it. Maybe it's a lack of this kind of humility that keeps America's favorite cryptid beyond our grasp. Maybe that's the way it should be. 
I've called the select few New York State encounters from the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization website, taking place in the backwoods and backyards of some of my old stomping grounds throughout the southern tier and Finger Lakes regions. These are intriguing and chilling accounts to be sure. And no matter what it really was these folks heard or saw or smelled, it's clear they came upon something out in those woods, and I respect their bravery and willingness to share these stories. So let's put Occam's razor on the back burner and delve into these mysterious encounters. And please bear with me on some of these folks. I've edited them for grammar and length, and uh, I think they mostly make sense. The first story takes place in Schuyler County on September 13th of 1999 at around 9 p.m. on Route 224 just west of Alpine Junction. I've driven this road many times on the way to and from the Elmira Corning area. Driving westbound, my brother and I were doing approximately 60 miles per hour on Route 224. Three fire trucks from the Odessa Montour Fire Department were coming in the opposite direction with lights and sirens on as they were responding to a call. Suddenly, this creature darted across the road from our left to right. It was illuminated by fire trucks and our headlights. I yelled to my brother, don't hit that kid. That was when we realized that it was not a human. We thought the lead fire truck was going to hit it. We believed it was spooked by the lights and sirens and panicked. It ran extremely fast on two legs, leaning slightly forward with what we estimated today to be a stride of five to six feet as the road was approximately 30 feet wide. It was completely blackened from head to toe and approximately six to seven feet tall. It swung its arms in an ape-like fashion at its sides as if to gain momentum, unlike the way a human pumps their arms and fists for speed when running. That's how we knew it wasn't a person. The creature did not look in either direction as it darted across the road. It acted like it was scared, a scared animal. We returned to the site this morning and did not find any tracks, etc. Ground was completely hard and dry at the time. No alcohol involved. Good to know these experiences were sober. I looked for other reports of this incident, but came up empty. I wonder if those firefighters saw anything. And this next one takes place in the woods of Richford, New York, uh, in January of 2001. This is about 15 to 20 miles from the little town where I grew up. We were out grouse hunting one day in an area known as Michigan Hill, a state-owned piece of land, 13,000 acres big, near Richford, New York. It was maybe 4 o'clock or 4.15 or so, getting a little dusky, a little darker down in the gorge area with a couple of inches of snow on the ground. We had hiked a mile and a half or so off the road with no luck finding any birds when we came upon a large, thickly wooded gorge with a creek running through to the bottom. We decided to head down the very steep hill into the gorge, hoping that in the thick pine and old apple trees we would find a few grouse. Once reaching the bottom and crossing over the creek, we were both stopped dead in our tracks by a sound which made our hairs stand on end. A series of screaming growls which I can only describe as I have before as a 700-pound hyena with a serious attitude had stopped two grown men with guns in their hands instantly. I have been hunting for over 20 years and have never, and I mean never, heard anything such as this in all my life. Well, anyway... After two or three of these vocalizations, which we were coming from only about 30 yards away or so through the very thick trees, we decided to move a little closer. What happened then was what really put the scare into us. As we split apart 10 yards or so and started to move towards the sound, it seemed to move around my partner almost as if it were flanking him. When it moved, you could hear it walking through the snow and breaking branches and smaller tree limbs. 
it definitely weighed a lot, a lot more than, in my opinion, him and I put together. We moved a little more before it vocalized a few more times and moved to our left even farther, as if it were trying to get behind us. Needless to say, with all this happening and the constant barking of the dogs from their farm up by the road, we were actually getting scared and nervous. Whatever was in those trees didn't want us there. After about three or four minutes, I glanced over at my friend, whom at that time was down on one knee with his gun shouldered, as if whatever was there was heading for him. He looked at me, and I motioned to him that I thought it was time to leave that area and whatever was down there and head back. We did just that, moving very quickly but cautiously, the whole time looking back over our shoulders till we made the truck. We never spoke too much uh, about what happened, but never went back to that place. A year or so later, I told something of the story to another friend and hunting partner of mine. He was playing with me and said, hey, maybe it was Bigfoot. Up until then, I never thought about that at all. And then one day, the same friend played me some supposed recording of a Bigfoot he found on the internet and my jaw dropped. A sound I hadn't heard since that day a little over a year earlier was playing in front of me. Believe me when I tell you, the chills were enough to kill you. I had him record the sounds, and I called my hunting partner, who was with me that day. I played the sounds over the phone, and he had the same chilling feeling. It was indeed 100% positive, the exact same vocalizations we experienced that day hunting. Okay, I messed up a few times on that one, but uh, we made it through anyway. And I guess you can't blame the grouse or those hunters for not wanting to be around that spot. Those backwoods hills of Tioga and Broome counties down in southern New York are definitely the kind of remote, low-population areas where a smart Bigfoot might want to hang out. And here's another one from quite close by, also in Tioga County, just a short hike down the road or through the woods on the outskirts of Owego, New York, and the hills that stretch between that town on the shores of the Susquehanna and the village of Endicott. Here we go. Wish me luck on this one. Me and a buddy were out driving the back road, spotting deer as it was near hunting season, if I recall correctly. We often drove the back roads out here doing just that, spotting wildlife. It was roughly around 1 a.m. We were heading south on Foster Valley Road in Tioga County and approaching one of the main country roads, Day Hollow Road, we're within about a half a mile of it, or thereabouts, traveling about 30 miles per hour. As we were approaching some curves, we could see the approaching lights of an oncoming car. Their headlights would have shined to the east side of the road, and they might not have even seen the creature due to location, light direction, and visibility in the turns. We passed the car at about the same time as we passed the creature, and the headlights kind of obscured my vision of it, but my buddy was focused on it. The road is a bit windy as you are approaching Day Hollow there, and a couple of slight switchback turns right along that section. There is also a steep bank at road edge to your right side with no guardrail. At its highest, it might be 15 feet and drops down to a partially treed open flat area. A person could easily jump from the road and land in the flat. It is that steep. There are no street lights in that section, and it is a very dark section. Indeed. Well, we could see something or someone standing right at the edge of the road, but on the bank. This bank is extremely short and steep. I would think to be a challenge for any person to stand or climb that bank, but here's what we thought of as a person standing right there. It was directly in front of us as we could see that it was looking at the other approaching car even though its headlights were not even close to being fixed on it. We spotted this person, quote unquote, probably about 50 yards away, 
So we had some time to try and focus. Even though the encounter actually happened within a short time frame, I can look back on it as if it was slow motion and is permanently ingrained in my mind. As we approached this creature, we didn't realize what it was or how big it really was till just after passing it. Now the location of this thing in relation to the road at the time of occurrence was quite a dangerous spot for a person and most people would have probably stepped back away from the road but keeping in mind one step back is about a six feet drop easily. The comments as we approached were some expletives and without being offensive something like holy cow what kind of idiot would be standing there dressed in all black hooded sweatshirt in an all black hooded sweatshirt. I don't know but they better step back. Damn, it looks like one big woman. Torso was completely visible and appeared large-chested with what I'd figure as breasts. <laughs> yeah, and why she all dressed in dark with a hooded sweatshirt? Looking back on it now, I give a smoke charcoal dark gray color. Damn, they better step back if they don't want to get hit. We actually slowed down a bit due to oncoming uh, to an oncoming car and passing at location of creature we so we needed the full road and edge of shoulder to pass the car okay the creature seemed to be looking more at the other vehicle and didn't turn back to look at us till we were just about to hit or pass it she wasn't maybe five feet from the side of the truck and I looked her in the face out the side of the window as passing at that moment we both got a decent look at her face when she turned to look at us she kind of turned her torso and body with the head to do so she was obviously big, and even though she was standing on the bank, I'd have to say that we saw about five feet of the creature from about waist to head. Her arms were almost at the level of the road. As we passed and got a glimpse of her face, the comments continued and were something like, Oh my god, is she but ugly. There was no snout at all, but a large, very wide, open-nostrilled, slightly upturned nose. Man, is she ugly. She looks like she got beat with a couple ugly sticks out here in the woods. Yeah, she sure as hell has one hell of an ape face. At that moment, with the ape face comment, both of us turned to each other to see the expression on each other's faces as the realization of what we may have just passed was. We did not turn around. We did not go back to look. I honestly didn't want to. The reason I say hooded sweatshirt is, well, she had the same kind of coned head. We didn't realize we were looking at hair and not a sweatshirt. We had a humanish face, but man, for a human, she was very, very hampered in the looks department. She was definitely what I would call big-breasted with a large, roundish belly and large torso and had to be all of eight feet, if not bigger. Okay, that one got a little bit uh, rough in spots. Thanks for hanging in there. Um, that one was uh, pretty fun and a little bit spooky. The experiencer's initial abnegation followed by the slow realization as to what they might have actually seen is very in keeping with some basic notions of human psychology. Humans may reject a truth presented to them if it doesn't reconcile with their concept of reality. At least that is often how we initially confront these ideas. Okay, these next two up the creepiness factor a little bit. They are very similar in nature while taking place some distance apart. I have, however, hiked and worked in and around both of these areas myself. Maybe that's why they weird me out more than the other experiences I've shared here. Uh, this one took place in the Shemung Valley on the outskirts of Elmira, New York. This incident occurred in late February of 1989 at approximately 10 p.m. The trail I was jogging on was at the base of one of the hills that surrounds the Shemung Valley. 
The trail itself was approximately one quarter of a mile long, fairly clear, about two feet wide, and surrounded by woods on both sides. The hill is located in the outskirts, on the outskirts of the city proper, actually the town of Elmira. It was very cold that evening with a fairly decent amount of moonlight. There are a number of trails that diverge from one, this one, that lead up and over the hill. The hill is probably 150 to 200 feet tall with a gentle slope. As I recall, there was about four inches of snow on the ground and it was ice crusted due to the temperature and made a good deal of noise when stepped on. I was jogging on a trail that is approximately one quarter of a mile long but connects to other trails running up the hill. The surrounding area was heavily forested. The incident occurred when I was about half a mile through the trail. At that point, the canopy of trees was very thick, and as I was running, I heard the distinct sound of footsteps about 20 or so feet into the tree line off to my right. Being slightly startled, I picked up my pace a bit, but I figured I had spooked a deer and expected to hear the, the sound of it recede into the woods in the opposite direction. Instead, I heard the footsteps move parallel in the direction in which I was running. This immediately sent a streak of fear through me as I have lived in upstate New York all my life and knew very well that a deer would bolt in the opposite direction if startled. I ran faster and as I did, the footsteps in the woods quickened, thinking that I may be hearing nothing other than the echo of my own footfalls, I stopped dead in my tracks to test my theory. When I did so, the steps continued for another two or three seconds, stopping slightly ahead of me and to my right. <clears throat> I stayed there for another ten seconds or so, trying to discern what the sound might mean, and while I waited there, I could clearly hear what sounded like slight side-to-side -side movement off in the woods, as if someone was stepping from one foot to another, as if anxious. I attempted to see into the tree line, but could not see that far into the woods clearly. After about ten seconds or so, I began to jog again, and tried to convince myself that I was just hearing things and was spooking myself. When I had gone about five feet, the footsteps began again. It was very clear to me that the sounds were coming from a biped, as the footfall sounded like that of a person versus a deer or dog. What spooked me was that for every two or three steps I was taking, the individual, for lack of a better term, in the woods was taking one. I am six feet four inches tall, and at the time was taking the longest rides I could. The thought that kept racing through my mind at the time was that this was either someone having fun with me, this thought was dispelled by the apparent giant strides I heard, or that I was alone in the woods with a psychopath with very long legs. Not a joke. The most dissettling element at the time was the fact that, as stated, I am over six feet tall and at the time weighed in excess of 250 pounds, mostly muscle. So I figured that whoever it was, uh, whoever it was, was not intimidated by my physical presence. I made record speed through the trail and exited onto a service road next to the local golf course. At this point, I ran another 10 feet or so into a clearing and at the edge of the trail stopped to look back into the woods. I continued to hear the footfalls until they stopped at the edge of the tree line. At that point, I was standing under a fluorescent light and as such lost any night vision I had acquired. Consequently, I could not identify any shape or form in the woods. I did clearly hear what sounded to be heavy breathing and a light throaty rumble. My initial thought was that it sounded like someone with a respiratory condition sitting in the tree line. I then heard a tree branch snap, and at this point I turned and ran at breakneck speed across the golf course. Looking back over my shoulder every ten feet or so, at one point I tripped and remember thinking that tripping like that only occurred in the movies. A few minutes later I exited the golf course onto one of the main streets in the town of Elmira, and have not used that trail at night ever since. At the time of the incident, I, feel I did feel extremely scared, but in retrospect I feel like there 
was no real threat in the incident. Whoever or whatever was in the woods that night could have clearly done me harm if they so wished, but the entire time whatever it was stayed twenty or so feet off to my right. I'm glad this gentleman has come to terms with his encounter. Uh, I'm not so sure I would be uh, as confident as he is though. I mean I am a bit over six foot tall, but it's uh, definitely not all muscle. One does wonder how this might have played out if that streetlight wasn't there. Or if the jogger wasn't quite so imposing. Okay, so our last encounter takes us back to a winter night in 1969 on the SUNY Cortland campus. It has some similar beats to the experience of our Elmira jogger, but ups the creepiness factor a bit, for me anyway. I was cutting through the college's small managed forest to get to work. It was early evening, but midwinter, so very dark. I was raised in upstate New York and felt comfortable hiking in familiar woods alone at night even though I'm female. I knew the trail well. It cut through the main campus near the track and ended in a small corn or wheat field bordering a quiet avenue about 40 to 60 acres away. The night was dark. There was no moon, yet my way was faintly lit by starlight, reflected on about six inches of old snow. About a third of the way through the woods, I became aware of the sound of twigs breaking behind me and to my left about 20 yards or so. At first I thought it was a dog or fox because the animal was following me at a steady pace but keeping really quiet and off the trail just inside the cover of the trees. This made me uneasy because there had been reports of uh, rabid koi dogs in the area so I quickened my pace a little keeping track of the animal expecting it would lose interest and meander off somewhere else in the woods but it didn't. Instead it seemed to quicken its pace too and its sounds became louder like it was kicking up leaves and snow and breaking not twigs but branches. I thought, this is some weirdo stalking me. Yet the weirdo still didn't show his quote-unquote face, but kept pace with me. My ears tried to place where it was in the black woods, but the lack of light meant I was restricted to sound only. I guess I was afraid to run from him, fearing he would most certainly catch up with me, so I decided to pretend I was unaware. At this point, I had about one-third of the trail left to cover and my follower was keeping pace with me, walking like a fairly large person through the woods judging by the sounds I was hearing. His distance was approximately 15 to 20 feet away from me, but I still hadn't seen anything. Up until now, I had just been looking out of the corners of my eyes, not willing, I guess, to turn my head for fear of what I might see. I admit it. And when I did turn my head just slightly as we kept walking together, what I saw really kind of changed my perception of reality. I saw a blocky, dark, and very tall, moving object working its way through the woods next to me. I could hear breathing. I could see it moving, but I could not tell what it was. I could feel my brain growing new dendrites trying to handle the reality of what I was seeing. It couldn't, though. Not really. In my mind, I was thinking, well, it's not human, so it must be some kind of spirit or something. I really did not know what it was, and until a few months ago when I discovered your pages, I guess I would not admit to myself what I had experienced, but I revisited, I revisited it recently and let myself kind of relive it, and remembered it in full. I do not know if this being was a Bigfoot. There was no smell. I did not see a face or arms, only the bulky body and occasional shadows that looked like legs walking. I was too scared to look closely, really. We walked together the rest of the way through the woods and I was the most scared when coming to the edge. I felt like if it was going to grab me, it would be here. I was also scared of seeing it, I think. So at the very edge of the woods, I bolted. I ran about three-eighths of a mile and my feet never touched the ground. I ran to the nearest fast food place and caught my breath. Whatever was following me never came out of the woods. 
and I have never told anyone this story until now, because the idea of a ten-foot monster following you through the woods sounds like a kid's nightmare. Okay, so the idea of a Bigfoot stalking the SUNY campus sounds even more far-fetched than the rest of these experiences, I know. But this uh, was 1969 we're talking about, and Cortland is surrounded by woods and farmland, not to mention the small city was less developed back then than it is now. But what makes my skin crawl with this one is the surety that this woman was being stalked. By what or by whom is somewhat secondary. It could have been some kind of predatory critter like the koi dog that she mentioned, or a bear even, but her description doesn't match those or any four-legged predator. Of course, in the moment, with her adrenaline pumping, maybe she made a mistake. Or maybe in the years between, her memory has become corrupted somewhere in relation to this experience. Our memories can be notoriously unreliable, especially when recalling stressful events. It is also normal for our minds to try to fill in blank spots in our recollections with items that may or may not correlate with what actually happened. All of these experiences could be easily explained away, of course. They all could be misidentified animals or people playing pranks, or perhaps people with more nefarious intentions. The list of proven Bigfoot hoaxes is a long one, after all, and the drive to mess with each other's heads must be buried deep in our DNA. A Montana man famously met his end this way after being struck by two cars after prancing out into the southbound lane of Highway 93 in a ghillie suit. We're not always the brightest. We don't know what this woman encountered on that night in 1969. She seems certain it was something unknown, and I'm going to take her at her word, because if it was actually a human stalker trouncing through the woods just behind this young woman, that makes the story much more terrifying from my perspective. We are the worst and most self-destructive predator after all. If an undiscovered species of massive ape people do exist out in those deep forests, they're wise to keep their distance. The full-length recollections of these encounters and many more can be found at the Bigfoot Field Research Organization's website, bfro.net. Check it out. Maybe someone saw Bigfoot in your neighborhood or on that hill behind your house. All right, we made it through the sad story of Mark Raymond and uh, some wild Bigfoot stories. Um... Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Mom. I'm glad you hung in there. I'll be back in two weeks uh, with more stories that all are a little bit strange and all at least had their initial formulation here somewhere in New York State. These little nooks and crannies. These little pockets of strangeness uh, that we might not want to see. If uh, somebody doesn't point them out to you, and I want to be that guy that points them out, yes. Or, I'm just really bored. It's one of those two, I'm not sure. Anyway, sorry about this crazy music. Come back and join us in two weeks. We might have a guest. Uh, The music's going to be just as weird, and uh, there's going to be a lot more strangeness to explore. See you then.